Welcome to Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American for the seven days starting April 23rd, 2008. I'm Steve Mursky. This week on the podcast, we're going bananas. We'll talk to Dan Copel, author of the book Banana, The Fate of the Fruit That Changed the World. And I'll play you some audio from my recent visit to a banana plantation in Guatemala. First up, Dan Copel. He's a contributing editor at National Geographic Adventure and has written for Outside, Popular Mechanics, Popular Science, Audubon, and the New York Times Magazine. He was in Amherst, Massachusetts for a speaking engagement when we talked. Hi, Dan. Great to talk to you today. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. You you say in your book that you've become a bit of a banana obsessive. So why don't you tell us some of the things that have obsessed you? Well, the the thing that's obsessed me the most, I think, is the um, contrast between um, the sort of complexity of of the bananas past, the 7,000 years of banana history as it's become the world's most uh, important and, and cultivated fruit, and the sort of uh, simplicity of our, our relationship with the banana as a piece of popular culture, the banana that we have jingles about and that we collect uh, stickers on and that we slice into our cornflakes. There's a real sort of contrast between what the banana is uh, scientifically and, and uh, politically and, and, and this sort of humble fruit that we slice into our cornflakes every day. Uh, for one thing, according to according to your book, the banana is actually a berry? Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's sort of some banana knots. Uh, the banana tree is not a tree. The banana is actually an herb. Um, the banana, um, you know, the banana tree is not, is a, it's actually a stem. There's no bark. Uh, the banana is not a fruit. It's a fruit, but it's actually a giant berry. Um, it's the world, like, as I said, it's the world's largest herb. So there's a lot of sort of, uh, things about the banana that, that we assume to be true that are not true. Um, and uh, that's one of the things that gets, you know, starts almost anyone who learns about bananas begins to sort of fall into this web of fascination. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that the banana we eat, the Cavendish banana, is just one of over 1,000 different banana species. But unless you travel to those other banana species, it's, it's unlikely that you will ever taste another one. Seriously, most Americans have probably ever had one and it's always been the Cavendish if they're young enough. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, except for a couple of uh, red bananas that you might find in a Whole Foods market, um, that yellow Cavendish is is the only banana out of that thousand kind that is hardy enough to travel the great distances that bananas must in order to make it to our supermarkets. So um, that that's pretty much it. Now, the Cavendish is, is actually not the first banana that, that Americans have had. That first banana was a... a a type called the Gros Michel, but but that one um, went extinct uh, functionally about 50 years ago. So so uh, that banana was the banana that our grandparents ate, but that's not our banana. And and so um, that's another thing that's fascinating is the banana that our grandparents ate has disappeared, and and most people don't know that either. So if your grandparents are old enough and they say to you, you know, the bananas that I ate when I was a kid, they were just they just tasted better than these bananas. They're actually right. That's right. It's not just sort of some nostalgic memory about things being better back in the old days. Um, in fact, that Gromachel banana was a bigger banana, a, a tastier banana. Um, I, I like to tell people, um, and I've actually uh, t- managed to taste the Gromachel uh, since I wrote the book because uh, they're sort of held in captivity. Um, I like to tell people that it's a... Uh, 
it, it's the difference between Haagen-Dazs ice cream and cheap supermarket ice cream. The Gros-Michel is a richer tasting, creamier tasting banana. Our, our Cavendish banana is an inferior banana um, in every way except one. The Cavendish banana was resistant to the disease that ultimately wiped out the Gros-Michel banana, and that's that's why it became our banana, our only banana. Tell us about that disease and, and about uh, how it's kind of uh, resurfacing today. Sure. Um, that disease is a fungus, and it's called Panama disease, um, which is uh, it's named after the country where it first uh, began. Um, the Gromichel was introduced, uh, it was the first banana introduced to Americans a little over 100 years ago, and um, almost immediately these banana plantations began to succumb to this mysterious disease, and this began a cycle. Um, uh, as soon as the banana plantations succumbed, banana companies um, began to plant new plantations. They began a cycle of plantation um, building, abandonment, and replanting. All across Central America, it was a, it was a race, a hopscotch race against these diseases. Finally, around 1950, they they ran out of room, and the banana planta- uh, the banana companies were almost bankrupt. And at the very last minute, they adopted this Cavendish banana, which they had resisted. They felt it was a inferior banana, so such a bad banana that they they really resisted it. They didn't want to use it, um, and uh, they they sort of were forced into it. And for 50 years, more or less, they sort of blithely ran along and. Uh, didn't do much um, to 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 um, preserve this banana. They thought it was immune to Panama disease. But about ten years ago, um, they planted some um, Cavendish bananas in Asia, and lo and behold, a new strain of Panama disease emerged, and it started afflicting the Cavendish. And from those small plantations in Malaysia, where that first new strain of Panama disease emerged. That, that Panama disease has now spread even faster than the old one did. It is now in India, in Pakistan, in China. It has spread all the way through the Pacific to Australia, and it is coming to our hemisphere. It has not hit yet, but um, I, I have said often, and, and it's absolutely true, that it is coming. No, no banana scientist, no plant pathologist uh, denies that. The question is when, and it's probably five or ten years away. And as of now, there's no cure, and when it comes, um, it, it will go fast and it, and it will go uh, very devastatingly. It will probably wipe out the entire banana crop um, unless something is done about it, unless some kind of cure is found or unless we diversify our banana crop um, before that. One of the big dangers with any kind of monoculture agriculture is if, if one of them is going to get it, they're all going to get it because they're clones of each other. Right. Um, that's what makes the banana so wonderful in a way. The banana was the first fast food. Um, you know, every single banana is exactly the same as every other one. They're totally reliable. They ripen at the same rate. They taste the same. This is what made the banana so, so practical. I mean, if you think about it, bananas are cheaper than apples. Um, yet they come from thousands of miles away. And the reason for that is that bananas have these tremendous economies of scale because they're all the same. Um, they require the same shipping methods. They, requ- they, they, they don't require um, six different kinds of, of, of techniques the way the six different apples we, we eat do. So, so a banana is just this sort of perfect thing for, for cheapness. And, and um you know, but because each banana is identical, each banana is susceptible to the same disease. This Cavendish banana in Pakistan is is susceptible to the same diseases as this Cavendish banana in Guatemala. And so, once a disease hits, um, it spreads very quickly, and and that's what's happening with Panama disease right now. Now, there there are some scientists who are working to try to uh, 
figure out what the next banana is going to be or to stop the Cavendish from uh, going extinct. And the capital, the world capital of banana research is in a very unexpected place. Tell us about that. Right. The world capital of banana research is is, is unexpected um, on the surface. It, it's Belgium, of all places. And um, that, that is where um, most of the work on genetic engineering of bananas is being done um, in a in a laboratory at the Catholic University of Leuven, Belgium, which is right outside of Brussels. And the reason for that, actually, um, is because the most important bananas in the world, um, the bananas that are subsistence bananas, where people actually rely on them for their primary source of nutrition, is in Africa. And Belgium had a great colonial interest in Africa through much of the 19th century. And that colonial interest has um, transferred in the 20th century to a scientific interest. And so Belgians are the great banana experts of the world. It's a fascinating artifact of uh, colonial history. Uh, other artifacts of colonial history, they're not even artifacts. They're, they're still going on. What uh, talk, talk a little bit about the relationship between uh, the banana and Central American politics. I mean, it, it's not even a relationship. The banana has been Central American politics for a lot of the century. Right, and and um, you know, banana companies, in order to keep bananas cheap, had to had to um, really control um, the cost of labor and land. And by by control, I mean control. <laughs> you know, they had to have no cost for labor and land. They had to have slave labor and free land, and they had to take over countries, and 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 that meant brutal tactics. They had to use the U.S. military and, and massacres and all sorts of terrible things. Over 20 times there were interventions whenever there were attempts to unify banana workers or um, have fair prices for land. And and these countries that were taken over by banana companies, that's where the term banana republics come from. Interestingly, from a scientific perspective, all these needs for takeovers spring from Panama disease because as these banana lands go fallow, um, you can't grow new bananas in them once they're they're stricken by disease, the banana companies have a desperate need for new land to, to grow their bananas in. And so the more the disease spreads, the more the more they need land. And this is why they have to take over countries and become ever more brutal because the, the there's this geometric progression of fallow land and, and this desperate, desperate need to maintain their profit margins, all spreading from this advancing malady panama disease and we're talking about what guatemala honduras what else uh almost every nation in central america and then um spreading down to colombia ecuador um and uh in even into some of the caribbean nations uh cuba um uh, and and uh early on into, into jamaica um you know, almost anywhere that you'll see, uh, if you go into your supermarket, you'll see a sticker with a, a, a country of origin on it, on that banana, um, was a banana republic at one point. And in some cases, uh, still can be. Um, Ecuador, one of the perennial uh, candidates for president, is uh, the head of the biggest banana company um, that's not Chiquita or, or Dole. Yeah, the, the banana that I ate about uh, half an hour ago was had an Ecuador sticker on it. Right, probably Bonita Banana or... Um, it, it was indeed, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so what is, what what do you think, after all your research, what would you guess would be the future of the banana? Well, I think there there have to be two things done. Um, number one, um, genetic engineering is really important. Um, the banana is a very slow-to-grow um 
fruit. Um, in order to, to develop a new fruit, there have to be a lot of cycles, um, first in the lab and then in the field. So genetic engineering is really important because you've got to jumpstart those needed qualities. Um, if, if you don't use genetic engineering, you're, 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 you have to add many generations of hybridization, conventional hybridization. So we need advanced techniques to jumpstart that and get, get test bananas out in the field to look for resistance to Panama disease. Number two, diversity. Um, we have to start adopting other bananas, and that means adopting new technologies to ship and transport bananas. That will mean increased banana prices. Um, people are going to have to be willing to accept bananas. Right now, bananas live in this sort of price range of $0.49 cents to $0.69 cents a pound, um, uh, with organics costing more. I think banana prices will go up, and, and that's sort of a major shift um, in the way people think about bananas. And, and we're, banana companies are going to need to think about new technologies. Each different variety of banana is going to require different technologies to control and regulate ripening to, to, to uh, keep, keep them fresh and, and intact while shipping. shipping. Um, one of the interesting things that people will have to face is um, probably one of the candidates uh, that's best um, best for a replacement to Cavendish is this banana called the red banana that you can find in the, mostly in Whole Foods markets. Um, is America ready for a red banana? I mean, think about it, the Chiquita banana girl. She's not red. She's yellow. Are, are we ready to um, change change the color of, of, of our banana? Um, I don't know if we are or not. Chiquita certainly doesn't think so, and that's one of the reasons they've been hesitant to, to even introduce that to, to uh, anything but specialty markets. Well, we have green apples and red apples. Maybe we'll get used to red bananas, too. Yeah, um, I think we might have to. Dan Coppell, uh, the book is Banana, The Fate of the Fruit That Changed the World. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Dan Coppell's last book was To See Every Bird on Earth. His website and blog is www.bananabook.org. I was in Guatemala on January 31st, a stop on a science cruise sponsored by Scientific American and Insight Cruises and I visited a banana plantation with a few of the other passengers. Our guide was Julio Cordova. You can see some of the photos of what we're going to be talking about on the webpage for this podcast. I want you to be ready because Cordova refers to killing the mother. He's talking about the banana tree, and the uh, the, the banana tree is always killed after its bananas are harvested because that allows its clone, which is already growing from the same roots, to then produce the next batch of bananas. The crunching noises you'll hear are us stepping on banana tree detritus. Good afternoon once again. My name is Julio Cordova, and I have a little talk about the banana, about the harvesting process. We are located right now in one, obviously, in one banana field. This field belongs to Del Monte, okay? We're not going to stay here so long because I understand it's very hot, okay? common questions. For example, I want to tell you that banana plants produce only once in their life. Only banana bunch in their life. Okay? After they produce the bunch, happen this. They kill the mother. Okay? Before they use a machete and they cut the mother, they need to be sure that the, the children, the, the child who's standing right next to her, is six months over. The time that takes the banana bunch to grow, it's 90 days. How many days are in, how many, uh, 90 days are three months. 
right? Okay, so when he's six months, he's ready to produce one bunch. In the next three months, 90 days, exactly. Sometimes we got a few fungus in Guatemala. The common fungus in Guatemala, it's called cigatoca. We have two kinds of cigatoca in the country. The yellow cigatoca and the black cigatoca. Why is every single plant tied with these white cords to one to another? Remember that we are located in the Caribbean coast of Guatemala. And sometimes the windy gets hotter. So they need the plant to grow straight. Every single banana that you eat at home, it's been measuring one by one. Needs to have the right size and the right weight. Over there, ribbon colors. You see them at the top? Why? They use one ribbon color per week. So the workers who are seeing how is the fruit, they know the age of the fruit. Okay? They use 12 different colors. One per week. So 12 weeks are exactly three months. When the bunch is ready, it's going to weigh over 100 pounds. There are three men, three workers, looking for the bunch that it's ready. So there's one man who put a ladder right here. He climbed, he cut, and there's another man right here waiting with a foamy on his shoulder, waiting when it falls down. Then there's another man over there. You see the wire over there? It's a, they had a hook. They put a hook on here, in here, and they transport the whole entire bunch to the packing station. We are going to see right now the bananas, that the bananas are still green. Why? Remember, the ban this bunch, for example, let's say that Julio is going to cut this bunch today. Remember, after, we, I, after Julio cut the bunch, automatically Julio is going to kill the mother. Automatically. That's the reason why we can see all this here. They use it for organic matter. Okay? Looks exactly like my room. Okay? <laughs> no, just kidding. Julio, what, what happens to the baby after the baby? Now they kill that too? Another one grows? Another one grows. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the okay. benefits of having bananas. Banana plants. They keep growing and growing and growing. And they never have to be replanted. For example... This one looks like it's kind of new. In some other... Oh, here here we go. I want to show you something. Oh, okay. Here, for example, let's say that this is the mother, all right? This is the son. And let's say that, for example, we have already coming... Uh, a, um, the daughter? The daughter, no, the <laughs> grandchildren. Oh, the, the grandchild. It's coming. How do we know the age? Of this, of this son, we count the leaves. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This baby or her son, it's two months. One leaf per week. Mm -hmm. If the black, yeah, exactly. If the black cigatoca attacks the field, they have to burn the whole entire field. Yeah, they have to burn. They have to destroy the whole entire field. This field was, it's almost uh, new, kind of. Uh, because when the Hurricane Mitch came to Isabel, 
destroy the whole entire field from Del Monte. Okay? Thanks goodness we didn't have another, uh, we haven't had another hurricane since 1998. Is that how many bananas are on the bunch? Good question. Everybody, we can see here that somebody cut one, two, three, four, five clusters. Why? Because the mother doesn't have enough food to feed too many members. Okay? That's the reason. Why do we see always one, one uh, banana at the bottom in every single bunch? Why? Banana, the, this uh, bunch has blood. Of course, we don't call blood. We call them savia. And the savia comes and goes around. And this, it works like a stop. You know, stop the savia. It helps to comes and goes yeah exactly many people ask me Julio why does this banana are green why the reason it's because let's say for example I cut this bunch today today is Thursday this bunch it's going to be the dismissing process selecting process the packing process today today in the night it's going to be in the pier it's going to be troubling Friday Saturday and Sunday. Monday, it's going to be in the United States Pier, Port. I don't know if it's Tampa or whatever. Tuesday, it's going to be in the warehouse. Wednesday, in the supermarket. And in one week, exactly in one week, it's going to be in your table. Wow. That's the reason. Okay, let's move. Let's move. Now it's time to play totally. Bogus, here are four science stories. Only three are true. See if you know which story is totally bogus. Story one, Prozac has been shown to correct so-called lazy eye in animals. Story two, a study finds that people between 18 and 24 are the happiest age group in America. Story three, the Defense Department has created a new medical institution, and one goal is to find a way to regenerate limbs. And story four, researchers have induced lightning in thunderclouds with laser beams. Using these lasers. Time's up. Story one is true. Prozac helped correct the rat version of lazy eye. The drug may return adult neurons to a more juvenile state where they can develop anew and properly this time. The study appeared in the journal Science. The researchers hope to test Prozac in people with a developmental eye disorder. Story four is true. Scientists in New Mexico pointed powerful pulsed lasers at thunderclouds and made lightning. The research appeared in the journal Optics Express. Such artificial lightning is useful in studies of airplane and power line sensitivity to the discharges. For more, check out the April 22nd episode of the Daily Siam podcast, 60 Second Science. And story three is true. The Defense Department announced on April 17th that it was creating the Armed Forces Institute of Regenerative Medicine. The institute will focus on burn repair, wound healing, craniofacial reconstruction, but also limb transplantation and even regeneration. All of which means that story two about 18 to 24 year olds being the happiest group in America is totally bogus because it is the oldest among us who are in fact the happiest. That's according to a study in the April issue of American Sociological Review. Older people tend to be more content than the young strivers out there, and the midlife people feel hassled, probably by their 18 to 24 year old kids and their happy parents.
Well, that's it for this edition of the Weekly Siam Podcast. You can write to us at podcast at siam.com and check out siam.com for the latest science news, all of our podcasts, and full articles from Scientific American magazine. For Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. Yes, we have no banana.